Welcome back. Monday, 25 December, the year of war, 2023. As we uh, wind down this 2023, a historic year. If you've been with us, we've accomplished so much. And how have we accomplished it? Um, through um, human agency. We talk about this being a spiritual war, but you must act. Remember, God needs human instrumentality <coughs> to act. I want to thank everybody for, particularly those who've watched this and followed us for years doing this, Patrick K. O'Donnell. So, Patrick, why did, why does he risk being criticized even more? He's under tremendous pressure. He may be relieved for cause, right? A lot of people say later this was a desperate ga- gamble to save his command of uh, of the Continental Army. Why are you going to do that? Why would you split your Why would you split your forces up to to do a force crossing of a of a river under just horrific conditions? He wanted to have a, a double envelopment, basically, of trend to basically have a crushing de- uh, defeat of of the Hessian force that was there, um, and that's what he does accomplish. Um, but it's it's not through the the initial plan. It's like all plans in war; they they usually evaporate in first contact. And that's certainly the case here, but it's it's the river itself that prevents the plan from coming together. It's impassable to all but the most experienced uh, mariners, and that's where Mar- that's where Washington had the the most experienced mariners, the best mariners, probably in the world at the time, the Marblehead Mariners and the 14th Continental under under Glover's uh, overarching command in his brigade, and part of it, but they they were uh, had trained. Basically, they were fishermen that had spent decades in the Grand Banks uh, to fish. And this is the most treacherous waters of the world to this day. And every year in, in Marblehead, when fishing was the, the main source of income, literally hundreds, if not or dozens of men would die every year uh, because, the, because their boats would capsize, they would go overboard. But it was in that environment, that chaos, that they were able to forge incredible teamwork uh, uh, of resiliency as well uh, to, to depend upon one another to get the job done. And that's certainly the case here to cross the Delaware River. And they do it. All the other uh, forces that were under uh, Washington's, uh, you know, part of this plan had failed to cross the river that night. And it's, by the way, it's also- Why did he pick, I want to talk about the weather because it was the Northeast. Why did he pick- Christmas night, and why did he refuse to back off that given the weather? Not the weather forecast, but I mean the actual weather. The weather is a double-edged sword. It's uh, it's it's treacherous to cross, but also it screens his movements. Um, the, what he didn't know, but what he suspected, was that the Hessians and the British knew that he was coming, and they did. They had spies everywhere. They had bits and pieces of information that the attack was coming. And they knew it was coming. But a series of events, a, a, a really a, a very fascinating series of events uh, occur that that prevent Johann Rahl from believing that this is the main attack. And that night, they cross uh, Christmas night during this massive nor'easter, there's snow everywhere. But um, as Washington has to make this mile, this it's nearly a 10 mile march from the crossing point all the way down to Trenton, and they have to go through some gorges and other things. It's pretty treacherous. Um, as they're making that march, they run across a company of Virginians, and they are astounded by, you know, what are you doing here? And uh, this is a, a group of men that attacked without orders earlier that day. They were basically, the, the, the thought is that it was a vengeance mission that they were trying to get back at the Hessians for something that occurred earlier. And um, they, uh, they're they there. And, and the, 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 the thing that happens is <clears throat> Raw believes that, that those men, that small company of Virginians, was the main attack. And, and then he started to, to believe that there were, nobody would cross in, the, you know, in, in a nor'easter. This is impossible. And it's, um, he lets his guard down even though the intelligence is coming in, that the attack is coming. In fact, there's an enslaved um, servant of one of the locals that comes that night to give um, Rawl, Johann Rawl, who's an amazing commander, Hessian commander, German commander, who had 
been fighting since his youth, uh, literally was born in, into war practically with his father. And in one, uh, had been part of the several critical battles during the American Revolution at Fort Washington at, at, at White Plains. He is playing checkers with a local and this enslaved person is about to hand him a message and he just shoves it, pushes it off. The message was that the Americans are coming and he doesn't know that they're, he, without the message, he doesn't know. And um, Washington's army and the Marbleheaders continue to march down and uh, right around dawn, uh, they appear. And uh, the Hessians, unlike the, the Christmas books that you know we read you know, maybe when in our youth that these guys were drunk on Christmas Day and not ready is false. They were all, they were prepared. In fact, they were, the, the raids by uh, Adam Stevens, the, the Virgins that I mentioned, and other raids had put them on high alert. <laughs> they literally, they were sleeping with their rifles in a uniform in their cartridge boxes, ready for anything. And um, they were roused up and they, they tried to immediately counterattack and there's a really kind of an epic sort of story that occurs here in Trenton where um, they, they seize the, the Hessian guns and they're taken back. And it's, it's quite, quite, a, quite a battle. And a, a, an amazing aspect of American history takes place right here. But another key element to this entire thing, and this is why Washington's divided his army, was to envelop the Hessian garrison. And it's John Glover and the Marbleheaders and their brigade that marches down the, the, the river road that's, that, that, that basically parallels the Delaware. And they seize a critical bridge over Assunpeak Creek. And they take the high ground. And they cut off one of the main um, ways of escape for the Hessians to go back towards Bordentown and escape this uh, envelopment which is occurring on them. And most... Revolutionary war battles are fought where they both sides um, engage, and then when one side is is uh, is having the, the the better of the other, the other w army withdraws, and uh, the engagement is not as decisive as it could be. And this is what Trenton is a decisive battle, where the entire uh, garrison, nearly over nine hundred men, along with their their cannon and other equipment, are captured. And it's part of 10 crucial days of two, three other battles, total of three battles included. The second battle of Trenton, which is fought at the bridge that I mentioned at Assunpeak Creek, which is another epic story of where Washington has to hold the line at this bridge and they do so against all odds, uh, where there's multiple attacks across the bridge. Washington himself, the commander in chief, his horse is near the, the rail of the bridge, um, but they are able to repel these attacks, which had they been able to cross the bridge, they might have split the army in two and destroyed it right then and there. It was potential for a crushing defeat, much like the Battle of Brooklyn could have potentially uh, had with the Continental Army. And then there's, of course, the Battle of Princeton, which occurs uh, later, the, a day later. Uh, and these three battles combined are 10 crucial days that change the course of absolute American history as well as world history. It has a seismic effect on empires in Europe. The, the war suddenly changes from one of absolute defeat where people that are even loyalists, or I mean, uh, people that are, you know, a signer of the Declaration of Independence signs amnesty <coughs> that the British offer, uh, as well as other citizens that start to jump yeah. ship. A, 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 a New Jersey, a, a, a New Jersey signer of the Declaration of Independence actually took amnesty before this happened. These 10 days happened over the Christmas period. I just want to make sure the audience understands why are crack German troops, the Hessians, why are they even there at the front line defending Trent right across from the Americans? Why do you have these essentially creme de la creme forces from Germany in this fight? The, uh, the British have a problem. They have a massive, you know, they have 13 colonies and then also Canada, the 14th, if you can consider that, that have to be uh, contained or quelled. And that requires a massive amount of manpower. They have a, the largest fleet in the world at the time. 
they have to man those ships, but they also have to man their army. And they don't have enough troops. So what they do is they go to the various uh, kingdoms that are in Germany, which offer their troops for, for hire. Uh, if, if you have the money, they will basically rent out their troops. And that's what you have with these Hessian allies. <laughs> and these guys are, are crack, uh, excellent fighters that are well-trained and very disciplined and uh, you know exceptional on the battlefield in most cases. So that's why they're there, because they don't have enough troops. And this is a this is a continuing problem with the American Revolution. There's never enough troops to hold the land, and this is a problem that would would have been a, an issue with the the American and during the American Civil War as well. Um, trying to, to 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 control or hold the land of a population. Yep. That's hostile. It's a, it's incredible. Ten, that's why ten, the real story of the ten, American Revolution is that you were able to. To, to basically take the loyalists and create more um, more loyalists as well as loyal troops to combat um, patriot troops that were uh, during the American Revolution, had they yeah. the, had they done that, that earlier really and more, more more focused, it, it may have been uh, decisive for the British Empire. Dividing ten days that shook the world. Ten, ten, ten days that got the world's attention that the Americans could actually fight. That things like Saratoga and others were not just, uh, or even uh, Bunker Hill, where we technically, we technically, I think, won, uh, was just not a fluke. Uh, Ten days of trick the world at Trenton, the bridge at Trenton, and then Princeton that got people's attention starting on Christmas night. Okay, Patrick K. Donald, we're going to take a um, a short commercial break here. In a moment, he's going to come back. We're going to get to the, uh, we're going to get to the Battle of the Bulge next, and then Chosen uh, Reservoir. And this is a story of heroism of the United States Army and the United States Marine Corps under forbidding uh, conditions. The, the Northeaster on, 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 on the crossing of the Delaware was almost, as Patrick's told me, it was almost hurricane force winds. I mean, this was a brutal night that Washington crossed. But I got to tell you, it uh, it compares to the brutality of the weather uh, around Bastogne and other places in the uh, Battle of the Bulge and also in Korea. Just horrific, horrific conditions that American soldiers have fought through over the Christmas season uh, in defense of their country. Absolutely amazing stories. Patrick K. O'Donnell, the best combat historian of his generation. Here's the reason. Every book is years of research to go back to original documentation, journals, letters, all of it. So it's almost like reading a novel. The, the characters themselves speak in their own voice. Take a short commercial break. We're going to enjoy some Christmas music on Christmas morning here in the War Room. I want to thank everybody for uh, for gathering around and uh, maybe opening some gifts, having some Warpath coffee at warpath.coffee slash war room, having some Warpath coffee, and uh, enjoying Christmas morning. We're going to return in a moment with Patrick K. O'Donnell. As we head toward a presidential election in November, one thing you can be sure of, 2024 will be a tumultuous year like no other. How will your hard-earned savings fare during this year? You're already seeing the impacts of inflation at the pump, the grocery store. The dollar continues to lose buying power quicker than your wages can increase. How are you protecting your savings? Consider diversifying with gold from Birch Gold Group. For decades, gold has been the choice of investors and central banks to hedge against inflation. Now, you can own it in a tax-sheltered IRA with the help of Birch Gold. Just text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898, and Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on gold. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't have to pay a penny out of pocket. 
with an A-plus rating, with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of satisfied customers, you can trust Birch Gold. Text Bannon to 989898 to claim your free info kit. That's Bannon to 989898. And secure your savings now. Take action. Text Bannon at 989898. Action, action, action. Okay, welcome back um, here on Christmas morning. I want to thank everybody, uh, those throughout the world, for watching, listening in. Patrick K. O'Donnell, 1944. We've uh, landed at Normandy. We swept through, we broke out of Normandy. We had the horrific Battle of Normandy, not just D-Day, but the, uh, but the, um, uh, the, the breakout. Patton had to come in. They had to relieve a couple of commanders. We finally did that. Montgomery came up with Market Garden about how to get to the Rhine River the quickest. A lot of bloodshed. Rome has fallen. Paris has fallen. Uh, but we're not quite there yet. Uh, talk to set, set it up. Where are troops? And, and how does this happen? One of the most horrific of all winter battles in American uh, combat history, sir. The This is the, the Battle of the Bulge begins in early, like mid-December. And What's going on is, as you mentioned, there's the breakout, but American supply lines are stretched very thin in many cases, and we have army groups that are that are positioned along a broad front, and um, several of them are, are positioned in an area known as the Ardennes Forest, that are which is considered as a quiet sector, and it's here that that Hitler picks for a great counteroffensive in the West to change the course of the, of, of the war, to somehow use some of his crack troops, including the first SS Panzer Corps, along with about 400,000 troops, 15, 1,400 tanks, thousands of, of planes, to attack the Americans in this so-called quiet sector. For me, um, the, the, the bulge really begins about a week, 10 days earlier. And what I mean by that is, the second ranger battalion was fighting in the Hurricane forest and their objective was to take the highest hill there called hill 400 near a place called Bergstein. And why this is important is because hill 400 overlooks the assembly areas for the German army and the SS during the battle of bulge. And they wanted to protect it at all costs. So in De on December 6th, the second ranger battalion, which is an elite unit, these are the boys of Point to Hawk that Reagan talks about, um, are assigned Mission Impossible to take the hill. An entire um, regiment, combat command, had been annihilated, um, take, trying to take the town and the hill, but they were barely holding on in the cellars in, in Bergstein, and they moved the second ranger in there to, to, to seize it. So on dawn, on, on December 7th, the men attacked, and it's an epic bayonet charge. They, they literally have to cross an open field, and they storm the hill. But for three or four days, they pound it with everything that they have, and they send one infantry battalion after another, as well as armor, to try to dislodge the rangers. And the reason why they care is because this is the high ground that overlooks what's going on for the greatest counteroffensive of World War II, the Battle of the Bulge. And the Rangers are able to seize the hill. They hold it against all odds. I mean, there's, I tell this story in, in Dog Company, and you have just epic scenes in this movie, in, in this um, this book where, I mean, for one, one the, the, the Rangers are being overwhelmed constantly by um, crack paratroopers that the Germans sent, sent against them. And in one foxhole, one of the individuals literally grabs two MP40 machine pistols and fires at his incoming, the incoming German soldiers and is able to repel that attack. Um, but many of these men are subjected to nearly 20 battalions of artillery as the hill is plastered. But they, they send intelligence that there's something going on 
in the background. But in many cases, like in many cases of uh, intelligence history, nobody connects the dots. And the Battle of the Bulge begins on December 16th, 1944, where the largest, one of the largest counteroffensives begins with the German army, over 400,000 strong, with thousands of, uh, hundreds of tanks and assault uh, units and guns uh, attack um, in a weakened area. And it's here <clears throat> that there are small groups of Americans that, that delay the, this uh, you know, incoming tide of German soldiers. And I, I've interviewed thousands or hundred thousands of, of uh, American elite troops, uh, rangers and paratroopers, uh, OSS. And I also interviewed the elite of the German army, including the Waffen-SS. And those are some very compelling stories. These guys really literally felt that they were back I remember interviewing one member of the first SS uh, Panzer uh, Division, and he, he was just like, he saw you know the the massive Tiger II tank that we have a picture of right there, and he felt that they had been um, you know they had been reconstituted, and that they were going to win the war. And if it wasn't for Americans that just put up an amazing defense, there are many Americans that that had literally collapsed during this counteroffensive in the early days. And um, it was the, the strategic reserve that we had was made up of the 18th Airborne Corps. And this included the 82nd Airborne, 101st, and the 17th Airborne Division. And these men were quickly rushed to the front on December 18th to stem the tide. And um, <clears throat> we talk about Bath Stone, but let's first focus on the northern shoulder. But, but, but and it was... Yeah, hold on. One thing, and I know we we're pressed for time here, so we'll figure to get through it. But why are the American troops, many of them, so th that are there, not the ones that relieved them at Bastogne or the 101st that held at Bastogne, but so many of the regular army seem like they're not trained, they're not combat ready, they're not equipped. People are not ready for winter. They're not ready for this particular winter. This is another one with the elements, just like at Trenton, the elements are unbelievable. Horrible. They're at and but whole there were whole there were entire regiments. There was an entire I think the five hundred first. There's one of the famous or infamous regiments. Uh, uh, surrenders with very few combat casualties. Psychologically, what what happened? What, given how late in the war we are, how many troops, millions of troops, are being trained back home? The combat leadership of this, the the actual. Some of the, even the NCOs, command structures broke down. What was it? The Germans for a moment there thought, hey, we might drive these guys back to Antwerp. We may drive them into the sea, another Dunkirk. And then the, these weak nations in the West will just collapse. We'll cut a deal with them and we'll fight the Russians. We could actually save the Germans for a minute thought they could actually save the German Reich by this, given the, the unpreparedness of the American troops. There was a lot of unpreparedness. There was this. People were poorly equipped. They just felt that it was the war was was nearing a close. That Germany didn't have the the capabilities or strength to mount such a a counteroffensive. I mean, Germany had wisened up. They 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 cloaked a lot of their signals. They they operated at night to move and position troops in into these positions, these assembly they areas. Were also, by the way, once again, j just like we just like you started thinking, they also had many German troops, special forces in American. They were in American. Uh, they were in American uniforms. And many of these were German Americans that spoke English. Right. I mean, one of the things that people were fooled by, or at least legendarily, was that there were actual German German troops dressed as Americans that fooled some of the untrained American troops. Yeah, this was a this was a German operation, a special operation where they literally parachuted some elements of troops behind the lines. They were wearing um, American uniforms. They spoke perfect English. They were changing the signs around. They created a tremendous amount of chaos uh, in those early days, and it just it, it made people constantly look over their shoulder. Were these men really Americans or not? And I mean, the famous thing is they have code words that were based on you know, baseball games or football games that were just generally that Americans would know versus somebody that was impersonating an American. But this created a tremendous amount of chaos. Scorzani was was the uh, commando in charge of this operation, uh, and they sowed a tremendous amount of chaos. Um, and it's the 82nd, 101st that come in. And uh, 
I'm wearing a I'm wearing a a medal from a member of the 509 parachute that was given to me right before Fallujah, and he wore that medal at, at the first parachute jump in North Africa in 1942, and fought through the entire war. Wow. He was at Antwerp. Wow! And at the Battle of the Bulge, the Talk 509 to- was thrust against the the 25th. Uh, SS Panzer Grenadier Division on December 28th. And they closed a gap in the line and they sacrificed themselves for America that day. And this wow. unit, which started out about 800 men strong, was, was reduced to about 60. Good Lord. Okay. Why don't we hang over for a second? So I want to get back to, we're going to carve a little time. We'll expand into the D block for Chosen, but I want to finish Bastogne and particularly the relief of Bastogne of how it was uh, a, a virtually a miracle in the middle of the winter, General Patton, and the heroism of the 101st, which really became legendary, you know, after after the 82nd and the 101st, the heroism at, uh, uh, at D-Day, and then followed by Market Garden, right? Remember the bridge too far? And then uh, finally at uh, the defense when they were totally surrounded and about to be crushed, the, the uh, talk about cussedness, grit, <laughs> and determination, their response to the Germans when the Germans said, hey, either surrender or you're going to be destroyed. Truly an American story, a truly American story over Christmas. Short commercial break, the combat history of Christmas, an annual tradition here at the War Room. Patrick K. O'Donnell, the combat historian, is going to join us in just a second. Stone, and it is uh, Christmas, uh, the Christmas season of 1944. What happens? Bastogne is um, basically in the early, on, on December 16th, elements of the 10th Armored Division, as well as the tank destroyers and other sort of cats and dog divisions and in, in units kind of fall back to Bastogne. And they're very uh, weakly holding it at this point. And it's the 101st Airborne that is trucked in in cattle cars, cattle trucks actually, open their open air things. And they, they're told in, in and around Paris that they need to get ready and, and prepare for combat. And men just like jump into these trucks with their M1 Garands and whatever they have. Many of them are poorly equipped. They don't have winter clothing. And they're trucked into Bastogne. And uh, they, they hold, Bastogne is a, is a road octopus it's called it's kind of a, a road it's a hub of multiple roads that intersect it and it's it's key to hold and uh the allies know it so do the germans they want it and they they send some of the after the the northern push kind of fails what happens is bastogne becomes a critical point that the germans want to take at all costs and they begin to surround it after the hunter first gets in there hunter first takes the, the series of hamlets that surround uh, Bastogne, and they hold it, uh, and they, they do an amazing job of holding these positions. And they're, these are paratroopers, but they're elite troops. They are trained um, to believe that they can take five, five to one of the enemy. Um, in many cases, these guys do the impossible, even though they're lightly armed. I mean, the best that they have is a 60-millimeter mortar or a bazooka, probably. 
and they're going up against German armor. And there's Panther tanks, et cetera, that are, they're coming at them and they're holding their ground. And, um, Germans surround the town and in and around Christmas, the Germans provide an ultimatum to the commander of this, the assistant division commander who's in charge at that point, Anthony McCall is asked to surrender the town to the German forces. And, um, I interviewed hundreds of these guys for Beyond Valor, including General Henry O. Kennard, who was in the um, he was in the intelligence section at the time. He was there. He witnessed the the interaction between the Germans and McAuliffe said nuts, and that was the response. But did he say nuts? Or did he say they say nuts? Or is that the one they put out to the press? He, he was a little more army forthright, was he not? There was some. There was also talk that it was it was uh, something <laughs> the effect of, <laughs> um, or something to that effect. Oh, but he, they, even he said, even more even more even more even more in your face. His command says, "I think what you said, General uh, Nuts, would be appropriate." And it was a nuts with an exclamation point. Okay. And the Germans had no idea what that meant. <laughs> and um, but it meant that they were holding the town and they were not going to surrender an inch. And um, the hundred and first as well. As it was tough. Year. It was it was yeah. tough going. They 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 had no reinforcements. They had no uh, material. Yeah. I mean, they barely hung on. Talk to me about the heroism in that winter of uh, Patton's Third Army and, the, and coming to the relief. Even Montgomery and his guys, who were pretty tough hombres, said no army could pull out of a full scale battle. And I think in ninety six hours, continually uh, go across basically uh, the the length of uh, France and Germany. Uh, to to relieve Bastogne, but Patton did. That's what, that's what Patton does, and he's prepared, and he just encourages his men to to change position, to basically attack north, to push up towards Bastogne, which the 101st was holding along with these other units that I mentioned, and they relieve them. And there's, if you go to the U.S. the New U.S. Army Museum, there is a jumbo Sherman tank there that is the first. A representation or the first tank that that actually crossed the line there at Bastogne by um by, by an officer by the name of Bogus and it's uh it's a, you know it's that that's that breaks the siege and then there's uh, the Germans then continue though um, and the Battle of the Bulge isn't just a one week affair this lasts over a month month plus a week or so and it's it's a it's a real grind that is dealt with in extreme weather. This is the most, the coldest winter, you know, on history in Europe up in, you know, for many, many years. And the men that are there are uh, men of iron. I, I interviewed so many of the, the, these veterans in Beyond Valor, and they would always tell me when they had to shovel the drive that they, they would get that tingle in their feet. And many of these men had trench foot or frozen feet which is just a horrendous thing. And um, it would bring back the memories. Of the no, 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 no. But talk, talk to that because this is chosen. This was Trenton. This was chosen reservoir. This is, this was the bulge. They didn't have equipment. Men had, were frostbit. They had frozen feet. They hadn't eaten in days. Uh, they had no medical care. I mean, this is the average man that the, the um, valor and just the stick to it and it's just hanging there and not quit is is yeah, so inspiring. Cool. I mean, not just Patton's it's, army having to go through hell to get there, but the guys that held on and wouldn't had every opportunity to surrender, right? And they refused to surrender and in refusing to surrender brought the war to a, a to pr probably would have taken another year or two if they had collapsed and they got an Antwerp, it may have taken another year or two to defeat Nazi Germany. These men were were not equipped with shoe packs or 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 um or rubber boots that would have prevented a lot of this stuff. They were wearing paratrooper boots in most cases or other combat boots where the snow would literally just go right into your foot and, and freeze flesh. In many cases, they had no mittens, they had no winter jackets, but they have to somehow unbelievably power through, you know, weather that just will kill you. And it, and it did. It killed many of these men that literally sometimes men would fall asleep in their foxhole and never wake up. Um, let's, let's pivot to, I want to make sure we give appropriate time to Chosin Reservoir because of all the horrors we've mentioned, the horrors in Korea 
uh, in that winter are almost unbelievable. Talk to me about the weather condition. We're going to talk about Tristan Reservoir now, but just talk to me the setting for both the Chinese troops who were the Chinese troops were these were Chinese army that Mao wanted to have die because they were from a Kuomintang army that it shifts aside and allowed the American uh, State Department to grant the victory in the Chinese Civil War. But Mao never trusted these generals, and he sent them to Korea. He sent them to Korea to die, not so much even by by the Americans, but to freeze to death. The winter was that horrible. Talk to me about the conditions at Chosun. This is the uh, the Chosun Reservoir, which if we begin with um, with June 25th, 1950, the North Koreans attack, and they nearly overrun the, the Korean Peninsula. MacArthur comes in, there's a Pusan perimeter, and they're barely holding. There's some really epic heroic moments there. They're barely holding, and then they land at Incheon, where they basically flank the North Koreans and force them to withdraw to the north. And over a series of months, the Allied armies under MacArthur's command push towards the Chinese border. And he believes the war will be won by Christmas. That is the plan. But what's going on is Mao Zedong has other other plans, and he sends so-called volunteers, which are his his army, large groups of his army. And as you mentioned, many of these men fought under Chiang Kai-shek, and they were there to die. They were there. The CCP planned to to basically put them into combat, and and if they survive, that's fine. But it, they were poorly equipped. They they were equipped with American arms in in some cases, and whatever else that they had. But these were very uh, much iron soldiers. They were tough guys. There was no um, enlistment period in the Chinese army. It was for life. And they were there. They, they went into Korea. And um, it's my book, uh, Give Me Tomorrow, which is on George Company 3-1, that this, the story really picks up. They landed in Chung. That's their first combat. Most of the men of, of uh, George Company, many of them, had never been to boot camp. They um, they were they were reservists as they were called at that point, which didn't include sort of the training that we have now. They would just go to a you know a middle school and, and and talk about the Marine Corps. Several of these guys didn't even know how to throw a grenade. But on the ship over, they were they were trained on how to use their M1 Garands and throw grenades and and basically combat tactics by their NCOs. Most of these men were battle hardened veterans of the Pacific War that had fought at, you know, at Guadalcanal or on Iwo Jima. And they, they trained these men on the, tri- on the ship over. They landed in Chong, they march up towards the north. And it's here that, um, that the Chinese surround um, in the dead of night, the 1st Marine Division. And the story of George Company is, is really an epic one. Uh, Steve, the division is spread out over uh, multiple little tiny hamlets, and it's stretched out over many, many miles in an area known as the Chosen Reservoir, which is deep north. It's a very mountainous terrain, and the Chinese have over 120,000 men surrounding um, the the 1st Marine Division as well as some attached army units, which is around 30,000 strong. The numbers fluctuate, but they're vastly outnumbered. Eight, ten to one, uh, in many cases or more, and um, they're spread out. And the Chinese uh, are uh, basically attack at the end of November 1950, and um, their 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 job is to destroy and annihilate elements of the First Marine Division as well as the division. And George Company is in a place called Coterie, which is a small little hamlet. It's under the command of Chesky Puller, the legendary. Marine general, and he is told to organize a task force to relieve a place called, to, to, to add reinforcements to Hagarari. And it's here that everything is coming together for the division. The various elements of the division are, are retreating towards Hagarari. They're building an airstrip to reinforce the division and then bring out air, uh, the combat wounded, but they need time. And the George Company um, has to break through a, a, a cauldron to somehow get to or, to Hagarari so that they can build the airfield and they can also hold the town. And the or- puller organizes a task force. They have to go up an 11-mile road, and on each side of the road, 
is a Chinese division, thousands of troops. And it's called Task Force Drysdale. It includes some uh, Royal Marine Commandos, a series of tanks, some army units, but also George Company. And they're in open trucks and they have to, to basically burst through an entire division to get to Hagerie. And the story is 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 quite um, amazing. Is the main character of the book? Tell you what, 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 hang, hang on. What, what, why don't we hold that story to our return? We've got our closing segment, and I want to close with the heroism of these individuals uh, to inspire you on a Christmas morning. Combat history at Christmas. Short break. Back in a moment. Veterans, you know, we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in extreme short supply across the United States. But you know that. Because you're a viewer or listener of the show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical. That's one word, J-A-S-E, medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. Okay, welcome back to, um, welcome back to War Room. Uh, we're at the Trosen Reservoir. Uh, Patrick K. O'Donnell, uh, make sure you've got some, uh, you want to get warm, just want to get some Warpath coffee, warpath.coffee, promo code war. Make sure you get it. You will not, uh, once you once you have Warpath, you'll never go back to something else. Patrick, uh, this was human agency that got these folks out of this terrible jam. And I tell you, it uh, from a disaster to one of the great moments of the United States Marine Corps, a, a just a, a historic Outfit, Chosen Reservoir, sir. sir. The Marine Corps receives uh, 10 Medals of Honor here at the, at the Chosen Reservoir. And one of the first is given to um, PFC Baugh, who's in this convoy that I mentioned. And the Chinese are in and around these trucks. They're, they're ambushing it. And Baugh, they throw a grenade at the, the truck. And Baugh jumps on it to save all of the men in his squad. And it costs him his life. As they push forward in in the in task force Drysdale, they encounter what they think are American troops, but they're actually Chinese soldiers. They're wearing wearing American uniforms. They're near an aid station, and Rocco Zulu, who's a main character in this book, who's a, a master sergeant, who's in um, who's in Guadalcanal and many other uh, Pacific War campaigns, is on a fifty caliber machine gun and, and tries to take out many of these infiltrators. And is shot through the chest uh, multiple times with a bullet with bullets. I'll never forget when I interviewed him. He pulled up his shirt, and it, the entire left side was all scar. 
And um, all of his men that day thought he was dead. And they put him on a pile of bodies. They, they were stacking bodies like five or six feet high. You know, it was, it was, there were that many people that were Marines that were killed. He was put on one of those bodies and the unit went on and they pushed on to a place called East Hill. And East Hill was the critical hill. It was the high ground over Hagarari. It had to be held at all costs. And the, the small company of men, they had 30 caliber machine guns in their M1 Garands and, Garand, and grenades. They would face an entire Chinese regiment with, that would face them, you know, on human wave attacks. And I'll never forget the, the, the descriptions that night of, the, you know, they have a green flare go up and literally the entire ground was moving with thousands of Chinese troops that these guys were facing. Their guns would, they would, would glow white because they threw so many rounds downrange um, at the Chinese. But they held the position against all odds for, for days. Um, coming back to Zulo, another, somebody from another unit heard a cough eight hours later, and uh, they rescued him in the airstrip that I mentioned. The critical time that was needed to build that, they evacuated him. The men never knew that he survived until their first reunion, which was at the Thayer Hotel near West Point. And they had a, a, a guy show up and they were all talking about Rocco Zulo, who had been killed at the Chosen Reservoir in 1950. And he would just listen to their stories as he went around the room. And he said, I am Rocco Zulo. But they held the hill against all odds. <laughs> Wow, unbelievable! <laughs> That's the opening scene of. How do you? How do we get? Tell me about uh, "Give Me Tomorrow." About the book, how can people? This get, is the Band of Brothers. Revolution. You're Band in, of Brothers. You're embedded. You're embedded in Iraq. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was I was embedded in Iraq uh, with with three one, and I came home on a plane at Camp Pendleton. Came home alone. I told my parents not to come, and I was greeted by a men of George Company that said. By the way, you carried our battle guide on uh, in Fallujah, and we held off against the Chinese regiment. Would you like to go to lunch with us? I said, absolutely. <laughs> they took me to the train station, and the next thing I know, a year or so later, I'm at their reunions. And it's, it's one of the great untold stories of, of the well, it, up until that point of the Korean War, yeah. of how these men helped save the 1st Marine Division, which then was able to evacuate Hagarari. <laughs> And, and make their way back to the coast in one of the greatest. I mean, we, we got, the Battle of the Chosen Re Reservoir is a epic story. No, fighting retreat is like something from the ancient Greeks. It's like the march yes. up country, right? And they uh, annihilated. So it's, it's, and it's that level. They annihilated and mauled the Chinese armies How, that they picked. Absolutely. Um, the Chinese, I'm telling you, bad duty there. Uh, all of Korea, the whole thing was just a nightmare. Um, and the lack of training and equipment and all of it, it just you, you see oftentimes how the troops are not really at the top of people's minds. That's why we do the Combat History Christmas every Christmas. Patrick K. Donald. Patrick, where do they go to get all your writings? You're obviously a favorite of the War Room. You're the you're the you're the uh, you're the favorite uh, historian, combat or not, of uh, MAGA. <laughs> they love you. So where do they go for the books? Um, I'm at patrickkodonald.com. I'm on Getter. At, uh, at at combat historian and as well as Twitter, and I appreciate the uh, the posse and and I've met so many of them, and uh, it's it's been a tremendous honor. Thank you. And make and make sure uh, posse, make sure you leave comments over at Getter, particularly Patrick reads them all. Uh, maybe I'll respond to a couple of three. Patrick K. O'Donnell, Merry Christmas! Thank you for doing this every Merry year, Christmas. brother. Really appreciate it. It's an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. From Handel. I think it premiered in Dublin. Merry Christmas to the greatest audience and most powerful political force and the most powerful, decent, and necessary nation on man's earth. Merry Christmas.
Folks, let me tell you about Solti. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out.